The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church in Ackerman, Mississippi. We invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For more information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org. I invite you to turn with me to introduce our thoughts this morning to 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Uh, we've considered the, these verses before, and uh, you may remember this context is at the dedication of the temple as Solomon has prayed at the dedication of his temple, and the Lord comes to him in a appearance by night uh, in the aftermath of the dedication of the temple. And he says in Second Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 12, The Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said unto him, I have heard thy prayer and have chosen this place to myself for a house of sacrifice. If I shut up heaven that there be no rain, talking about a drought, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people, if my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now mine eyes shall be open and mine ears attent unto the prayer that is made in this place. For now I have chosen and sanctified this house that my name may be there forever, and mine eyes and mine heart shall be there perpetually. And we've talked about this before. We went through it in detail. But there's a phrase that stood out to me in conjunction to some of my reading this week. Uh, the last phrase in verse 14, that God will, if we respond appropriately, if we're in the middle of a spiritual drought. Remember, if God's people that are called by my name, this is not talking about America. This is talking about God's people and God's kingdom. If my people were to call by my name, first of all, we need to have humility. We need to pray a prayer of repentance. We need to turn and seek God's face and turn from our wicked ways. It has to be a change of action, a change of repentance. And then if you do that, if then, right? If then statements. If you do that, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Heal their land. And I was reading this week, uh, actually in the Second Chronicles 22, uh, Second Kings 22 account, but it's also in Second Chronicles 34 and 35 uh, of the revival in Josiah's day, okay? Manasseh was Josiah's granddad, and he lived in sin and shed more innocent blood than they had ever seen. And ultimately, that was the final straw that the nation was going to go into judgment. He dies, and Manasseh did repent later on in his life for a brief period of time, most likely. But then Ammon, his son, takes over, and he's very wicked for two years. And then Josiah takes the takes the reign at age eight. And then if you look at Second Chronicles 34 and 35, you see these different benchmarks. Uh, hopefully we'll, if the Lord continues to direct in this way, hopefully we'll get around to that. Um, 
probably in later messages. But if you look at um, the different benchmarks in Josiah's life, he had different levels of things that he put away. But then there came a time where he said, we need to clean out the house of the Lord. We need to fix it up. It's got broken down. And in the middle of that, they hired people to go in and clean out the house of the Lord to get it straightened up and to get it repaired. And lo and behold, they found the book of the law in the house of God. How about that, right? And they opened it up and, and they, he started reading it and he was like, oh my goodness, we are in abject rebellion to God. Uh, and he and he did exactly what this uh, what this uh, verse says. He humbled himself. He prayed, and he re- and he repented. But the the point that really stood out to me in that reading <clears throat> was that the way that God healed the land of Judah in the day of Josiah was by a leader, by the king in that day, who had the authority to do all of that. But by a leader, by a man. He moved through a man to realize his error, to see the things that were incorrect, and for him to go and make changes to the things that were incorrect. So how was the land healed? How was the land healed? You know, it wasn't by some flood of the Holy Spirit, you know, uh, think about the the flood in Noah's day, right? Uh, God destroyed everything that was wicked by by sovereign act from heaven. Well, that's not how God operates in today's world, is it? No, he operates through his people, right? The land was healed through Josiah. The land was healed by Josiah saying, the word of God says we shouldn't be doing this. We've got to change it. So, So the land was healed through the actions of Josiah. Okay, and then later on this week, uh, I was talking to my mom about some church <coughs> situations, and and I said, well, you know, there's really no telling what the church and the kingdom is going to look like in 15 years, because um, there's so many churches that are struggling. And I said, you know, there's a good chance within 10 or 15 years, 20% of our churches may be gone. And I was thinking about that later that night. I went to a Friday night, went up to church at New Prospect, and I, uh, Bethany was out of town, and I had some Mountain Dew a little bit later than I normally do. So I was, I was a little wired <laughs> more than normal uh, and didn't really go to sleep. So about, about 1 o'clock in the morning on Friday night, I got a pen and paper, and I wrote down all of the churches in North Mississippi. And I wrote down 26 churches, 26 churches in North Mississippi. And of those 26, I would say that of the group that have 10 to 15 members, that all of them are older than 65, okay? In that category, this is not an exact determination, this was my quick calculations at 1 a.m. in the morning, okay? But a ballpark of churches that are small congregations, 10 to 15 members, and the members are over 65, I counted to be 14 of them, okay? 26 churches, 
14 of them. I want you to think where outside of the Lord, and he can and, and he will if we respond appropriately, okay? If there's a change to necessitate revival. But I want you to think about where those churches can be in 15 years if nothing changes. I'm not going to preach the funeral of any, of any church, but we need to be realistic. Where's that church going to be if something doesn't change in 15 years? I'm concerned it may be closed. Okay? Then I wrote down all of the ministers in North Mississippi, about 20, 21 ministers. And 10 of those ministers are 70 and over. Okay? So within 15 years... Even if they're still alive at 85, they're not going to be able to do what they used to do. You know, hopefully they can show up and preach and help, you know, uh, help out in the capacity that they can, you know. Uh, but you're definitely not able to do it at 85 what you used to do at 40 and 45, right? So even if they're still around, they're not going to be able to do what they used to do. So those numbers really sank into me pretty heavy um, on Friday and on Saturday that the situation in our area, and I went from north of 82 and east of 55, okay? So North Mississippi, uh, where I grew up, I mean, I'm a North Mississippi boy. My dad's a minister. My great-granddad was a minister in this area. I've got Primitive Baptist roots. I don't even know how back, uh, back how many generations, and, and the Lord has planted my ministry here. He could, he could move it. I don't think he is, but uh, he could move it. But even if I went somewhere else, I'd still be a North Mississippi boy. I mean, this is where I grew up at. And these are the people that I grew up with in the kingdom. And these are the churches and the people that I love. I love the kingdom. I love being a primitive Baptist. I hope you do too. And I love the primitive Baptist in this area. But in my head, I kind of just said off the cuff to my mom, that in 15 years, you know, 20% of our churches may be gone. And that's alarming. But then I did the math and I was like, oh my goodness, it's 50. It's 50. It's 40 to 50% if something doesn't change. Now, <clears throat> there's a lot of reasons why we got to where we're at. And I don't have the answer to all of that. The, the Holy Spirit is the one uh, who guides and directs about the reasons why that might be the case. And that's why we just have to, um, there's a lot of things we need to be doing, but ultimately we need to be praying for the Lord to guide and direct about what are the real areas that we need to address. But I would say if there are churches in that situation that there's no one under 65. That tells me that the prior generation that have now passed away, it seems like they did a pretty good job of raising their kids, right? Because you would say that, I think you would agree in the Prudent Baptist Church, the 65 to 80 group, that is, that is the rock solid pillars of the church. But the problem is after those pillars, there's not anybody. You see, so what happened? What happened? I think those people that grew up in the Great Depression that fought World War One and they had all that prosperity, they did a they did a really good job of raising their kids because there's the one that's still in the church. But where's where's the next generation at? And then where's the next generation after that? Okay? 
Why is it that there's no people under age 65? <clears throat> I think that we have to be realistic. And I'm really not a Debbie Downer. I'm really not. This is not a negative message. But I, if I go to the doctor, I don't really want the doctor to just make my feelings feel good. <laughs> I want you to give me an accurate diagnosis so we can deal with the issue. Okay? And there's a very real possibility if we don't realize the need to change. I'm not talking about compromising biblical principles, but being willing to follow the direction of the Spirit about what is necessary. There's a high probability that half of our churches in North Mississippi are going to be gone in 50 years, in 15 years. Okay? And that is alarming. It should be alarming. It should be alarming to us. And then, let's get more specific. At Macedonian Church, and we've had this discussion many times before, we haven't had a baptism here in 16 years. 16 years. And that spans seven years of me being here. But it didn't start with me. It spans three pastors. Three pastors. I also want to note <clears throat> that there are times that churches go through seasons. And I really admit that, right? Um, there are times where you have additions. There are times where... Um, Things are a little bit lighter, but 16 years is not a season. 16 years is not a season. 16 years is a drought. 16 years is a famine. And what happens if a famine extends not just 16 years, what if it extends another 15 years? How many churches survive 31 years with no baptisms? Okay. Now, it starts with me. I'm the leader. I'm the pastor. And I know that I, I've got to do a whole lot better. But I would be terrified <clears throat> if the numbers backed up, that y'all were baptizing people, three to five people a year, and then I showed up and it's been buckus ever since, ever since I showed up. Okay? But... It was nine years before I showed up. So I'm, I'm part of the problem, no doubt. But there's something that needs healing, okay? There's a drought that needs to change. And God is so gracious and God is so simple. <laughs> I want you to understand as we hope to go through this, the Lord is so simple in the way he deals with his people that if you're obedient, I'm going to bless you in a way that you can't even handle it. You know, I, I appreciate some of the text messages that I got this week uh, trying to tell people about the Lord's blessing and providing for my employment. And I love the message I got from, from one friend. And he said, open wide thy mouth and I will fill it. <laughs> That's what God will do. That's what God will do. But if we're disobedient, God says, I'm going to judge you. But that's evidence that he loves us. That's good, right? That's evidence that he loves us, okay? But if we're obedient, God will bless. God will bless. But if we're disobedient, he won't. Now, I don't know all the reasons for this. I have no way of knowing all of the 
full reasons of why the overall kingdom is where it's at or where we're at where we're at in Macedonia. But the good thing is, is the Lord knows all of that, and that's why we need to pray for the Spirit to guide and to bless. But we have to be realistic. If we think that there is nothing that we need to change in the church setting or in our personal lives, when we're in the middle of a famine, when we're in the middle of a drought, then we're the, the reason why God sends that, okay? I, I want to back up. Let's talk about a drought for a minute, okay? Um, in the time of Ahab, Ahab, you remember Ahab, he was buried to Jezebel. This is 1 Kings chapter 17. Well, Ahab institutes all of these horrible things. They're worshiping Baal, and God's people are all of a sudden worshiping Baal. So what does the Lord do? By the decree of Elijah, he sends a drought. Sends a drought. And it ended up extending three and a half years. Now, I also want to add, as a caveat in the middle of all that, uh, that doesn't mean the Lord can't bless his people in the middle of drought. You know what he did to Elijah in the middle of that drought? He provided for him with ravens down by a brook. He provided him for providentially with with widow and the increase of oil, God's going to provide for his obedient children, even if the whole nation is in a drought, right? The whole nation was in a drought because of the wickedness of Ahab and they followed his lead. But God's going to provide for his obedient children, even in the midst of drought and even in the midst of famine. That last ended up lasting three and a half years. And I love just how simple it is <laughs> that there on uh, Mount Carmel, uh, you remember the story that uh, he's mocking the 850 false prophets and then, and then they finally prepare the altar and then fire from heaven comes down and consumes the altar. And then the people say, you see, not just Elijah, but the people say, the Lord, he is God. I can't believe that we've been worshiping Baal this whole time. And then they go and they kill the prophets of Baal. And immediately, this is how gracious the Lord is. Immediately after they confess that the Lord is God, they put away their idols. And they kill the false prophets that were uh, enticing them to commit. Immediately after that, <laughs> Elijah says, I hear the sound of rain. I hear the abundance of rain. And guess what? Immediately after God's people repented, what happened? All of a sudden, rain started coming down. How about that? <laughs> Isn't that simple, you see? So we need to understand that there is something, possibly many things, that we need to change in our personal devotion that will invite growth and possibly, if growth extends for a long period of time, revival, okay? I think that God's people, you know, think about those people in Elijah's day. God didn't send that drought. God didn't send that drought for the purpose of having people starve and die. God didn't send that drought to punish them just to make them feel bad. The purpose of sending the drought was for them to realize that something was wrong to repent. So, so I want you to understand that. The purpose of God sending the drought, the purpose of God sending the famine is not just to be mean. 
It's to show that there is something that's incorrect that you need to adjust. And guess what happened? Lo and behold, they repented of what the problem was, and God immediately sent rain, you see? So the purpose of God sending a drought and a famine and locusts that devour the land, the purpose of God doing that is not so you just don't have any crops. It's not so that you are going to die of thirst. The purpose of God doing that is for you to be introspective and say, you know what, maybe there's a reason why this is happening. And God, by the direction of your Holy Spirit, show me what that is to where I can do better, okay? There's an article that um, I'm going to send out to everyone this week that I want you to read. It's very long, but you need to read it, that I wrote three years ago. Uh, Revivals call for radical repentance. Revivals call for radical repentance. And I have in all bold in that article, and you can put it in all bold in your notes too, there is no revival without radical repentance. There is no revival without radical repentance. Now, we don't have time to deal with all that today. But in that pattern for the Lord blessing the healing of the land, it starts with humility. Prayer follows humility. But there has to be actions after prayer. Okay? And I think we've lost sight of the fact that there has to be actions of repentance to back up the prayer. I mean, we're saying, Lord, bless us. You know, I, I, I get, I address that in that article. Revival's call for radical repentance. We want the effects of revival. Everybody wants the effects of revival, right? Everybody wants uh, people being baptized left and right. Everybody wants new churches being planted. Everybody wants the effects of revival. But the thing is, revival is God's response to our actions. I want you to understand that. The drought or the growth or the revival is not an abstract concept. It is God's response to our actions. Do you, do you see that? The reason why there's a, 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 a drought, let's, let's uh, okay, let's stay here in 2 Chronicles 7, and he gives a summary version of this in 2 Chronicles 7, but he gives a whole lot longer explanation in quite a few other places, okay? And this is talking specifically of Solomon, and we know that Solomon really, really messed it up. Verse 17. As for thee, if thou wilt walk before me as David thy father walked, and do according to all that I commanded you, I will establish your kingdom. According to that I have covenanted with David, there shall not fail a man to be ruler in Israel. Now Solomon ended up messing up, and if you remember, God rent the kingdom from him. He took away ten tribes. And they went to Jeroboam, and they, those 10 tribes were always, always in sin. So if you're obedient, I'm going to establish your kingdom. He wasn't obedient. He took away the kingdom. But he says here in verse uh, 19, But if you turn away and forsake my statutes and my commandments, which I have set before you, and go and serve other gods and worship him, and that's exactly what he did. By the end of his life, he was enticed by all those thousand women, and he was... He was worshiping false gods. He was apostate, okay? 
That's exactly what he did. What's going to happen if you do that? Well, go back to verse 13. What's going to happen? If I shut up heaven that there be no rain. That's what's going to happen. If I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people. The reason why this is occurring is because of disobedience. Okay? Okay, so first of all, you have to acknowledge the reality of the situation. But God always, always provides restoration and forgiveness for repentance. Always. So he says, if you find yourself in this condition... This did not happen randomly. These locusts didn't just randomly show up. I sent them. I sent them because of disobedience. So if you see these things happening, then these are the conditions that will necessitate a change. If my people, right, what, what do we need to do? We need to humble ourselves and pray. But it doesn't end with prayer. Seek my face, but notice, turn from their wicked ways. That's what Josiah did. Josiah saw the word of God, and he said, wait a minute. We're heading in the, God's word says we're supposed to be facing west. We're facing due east. <laughs> we need to have a direct 180-degree turn. We're going the exact wrong way. He made a change, okay? And if you do that, if then, if you do this, then what's going to be God's response? Okay, what's going to be God's response? He's not going to ignore you. He's going to hear. He's going to hear from heaven. He's going to forgive your sin. He's always going to forgive your sin. But notice, I will heal your land. So if we desire the land to be healed, how do we get there? It's an if-then statement. But I want you to understand, if you see these spiritual conditions of a drought, of locusts, of pestilence, and we're talking about this in a spiritual sense in the kingdom, if you see that, that is an evidence of a greater cause of those effects, right? Those are the symptoms. What's the disease? These are the effects. What's the cause? The Holy Spirit needs to guide us in finding that. But I want you to notice, <clears throat> this does not end with prayer. We need to pray. We need to pray, but there has to be a change. And I love how each of these kind of combine, uh, how, they, how they follow one another. <laughs> if, you, if you humble yourself, I'll hear you. If you pray, I'll forgive you. And if you turn from your wicked ways, I'm going to heal your land. Well, you want to know how God heals your land? By doing just what Josiah did, by you making the change. You see that? If you make the change, your land's going to be healed. <laughs> In the New Testament, Jesus tells us many times, you know, you need to ask, ask according to God's will. But he also says, after you ask, you need to seek. And then you need to knock, you see? Okay, if we're praying for different things in our life, what actions are being undertook for, to invite God to give us the outcome that we desire, okay? You know, <clears throat> if you decide that you want to lose weight and get more healthy, that's a good goal. 
If you decide you want to do that and you say, Lord, please bless me to lose weight. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Lord, please bless me to lose weight. But you keep eating the same stuff you've always eaten. You don't change your workout routine. You make no changes in your life. Okay? Losing weight is an if-then statement, isn't it? <laughs> if you do this, you know, for the most part, you're going to get this result. But I could just imagine some people saying, well, you know what? I've been praying for two months to lose weight, but I haven't lost any weight. Okay, all right. Well, let's examine the changes in your diet. Oh, there's not any. Uh, let's, ex let's examine the new workout exercise routine you had. Oh, oh, you're still not doing anything. Well, it's the Lord's will <laughs> that I'm not losing any weight. Well, no, it's evident, right? I want you to understand how simple this thing is in daily life. It's evident that we pray for things, but we back up those prayers with actions, right? I mean, you can't expect to say, Lord, please make me more healthy, but I'm just going to keep eating. You know, <laughs> my cholesterol is too high, but I'm going to keep eating everything that makes my cholesterol too high. Lord, please lower my cholesterol. Okay, I'd be happy to do that. Change your diet, right? Lord, please bless me to lose weight. <laughs> But I'm still eating ice cream at midnight all the time. Well, you know what? You can make a change that may, that may help you in that. Lord, please uh, bless me uh, to be more healthy. But, you know, I really don't want to take the time to work out. And then you evaluate that a couple months later. Oh, well, nothing's changed. I prayed, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Clearly, it's the Lord's will for me to just remain unhealthy. Well, what does the Lord do? What's the Lord do? That what you that which you sow, that yes, you also reap, right? You know, can we expect really much reaping if you haven't done any sowing? <laughs> That's not the way the Lord works, okay? So we need to pray for all these things, but those prayers have to be backed up with actions, okay? You know, I, I, I'm so thankful for the testimony of Zion Church in Gordo, Alabama that's really just in our backyard in Primitive Baptist terms, just, you know, hour, hour and a half away. Uh, but they went from one member to now they're a healthy, growing, thriving church. And praise God for that. But you want to know how that happened? There was one member, but that church was in absolutism. They'd fell into doctrinal error. And Sister Lorraine didn't say, well, you know, we're doing everything right. I don't know what the problem is. I don't know why our church is dying. No, she, she, by the direction of the Spirit, said, you know what? We're not doing things exactly the way we need to do. And what did she do? She called members of the Primitive Baptist Church. We're reconstituting this church under the values and the belief that it was originally constituted in. And what did the Lord do when she made that change? The Lord honored it in a special way by sending revival to that church and went from one member to 30 within a couple years and now a good 60-member, healthy, thriving body. But we're, we're happy as Primitive Baptists to hear that story, aren't we? It went from one member to a thriving church. But you want to know how it happened? It wasn't by Sister Lorraine saying, well, I, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. I'm praying for the Lord to bless. You see? I don't know why. I don't know why our church is dying. Instead, the Spirit said, you need to make a change. 
And look how the Lord honored her making that change. You see? So there has to, there has to be actions on top of it. You ask. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. But there needs to be some seeking and knocking. And you want to know the God's promise with you, when you seek and knock? You will find, and it will be opened unto you. <laughs> that discussion about sowing and reaping from uh, Galatians chapter 6, that which you sow, that, yeah, that shall you also reap. But I remind myself of this verse very often in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 9. Don't be weary in well-doing. Don't get tired and faint in trying to do the right thing to sow the right seed. Don't, don't get weary in doing it because it's a Bible promise that in due season, right? In due season, you shall reap if you faint not. That's a Bible promise. It's just as much a Bible promise that if we do these things of humility and prayer and repentance, God will heal our land. God will send that, right? His, his uh, God's purpose is not to be an angry dad in heaven all the time. He's just wanting his children to act right. And he, and he's, and he is sending chastisement so the children can hopefully have a little bit of a, a more accurate self-realization moment to say, you know what? I'm not doing exactly what daddy said, <laughs> but dad wants to bless me. And what does God do? What, what, is the, what does God do when his people pray? I will hear from heaven. You know, I love that uh, any of us in a natural, well, I say this, I'm not a parent. Uh, I, I feel like a parent would do exactly what the father did in a prodigal son relationship, right? That when they came back home, that they, they would immediately welcome back. But in my sense of, of not having that firsthand experience of having a child yet, in my head, I felt like when that child showed up, yeah, I'll give you the ring. Yeah, I'll fix the fatty calf. But I really need to kind of chew you out and tell you how much sorrow you've given me and your mother the last 15 years. I can't believe you've acted like this. Well, what did the father do? <laughs> you know what? There may come a time for us to discuss all the woes of the past. <laughs> but in my mind, that father would have chewed out that son when he showed up. But what did he do? Oh, he welcomed him back with open arms, didn't he? You see? Why? Because he humbled himself, and he prayed. And you want to know, know what else that prodigal son did? He didn't stay there in the pig pen and be like, well, you know, I wish things were better. Lord, please bless me to get out to, for things to be better down in the pig. No, he said, I'm in the wrong location. I need, to, I need to turn, right? I need to change, okay? So we need to pray. We need to pray diligently. But those prayers need to be backed up with actions, okay? And I'm gonna do my best to cut this off here in just a little bit because uh, we had started in lieu of a conference on second Sundays, trying to have a little bit more time of prayer and I've promptly neglected that and forgot about that. So we're gonna to try to spend a little bit more time in prayer this morning. Um, many things that hopefully, Lord willing, if Lord continues to direct in this way, um, that we'd like to consider. Um, I want you, I'm going to give you some homework, okay? I want you to be reading these things and meditating on them. 
Okay. Um, and you may feel like that you don't have time to, this is, these are not all short. Okay. You may feel like you don't have time, but let's be honest. You have a lot more time than you realize. Okay. <laughs> I know me, I like to spend two or three hours a night watching TV. Well, pick up your Bible and read a little bit instead of watching TV. Those are simple changes, by the way. By the way, I also want to uh, mention to you today that I understand that y'all are the good ground. I do, and I appreciate that. There's all things, things we can do better. I need the Spirit to direct me in, in realizing my shortcomings. I don't, I don't think any of you are going out and, and robbing banks and committing all these felonies you know, during the week that we got to deal with. But it's, but it's the little things of devotion, you know? Um, am I going to just watch TV for three hours or could I spend maybe one of those hours reading my Bible, meditating on it? During those little moments that I have during my day when I'm bored and I pick up my phone, do I immediately open up my Facebook app? Or maybe I can pick up my Bible app or, or uh, open up my prayer list that's on my phone um, instead of immediately gravitating to the mindless dribble of Facebook and television, you know, um, that just turns your mind into goo, you know. Maybe I can do something a little bit more profitable. These are the little things that I'm talking about, okay? <laughs> I don't think any of you are committing egregious sins. And I would like to say, I don't want this to be so negative, um, that, uh, that we don't understand how blessed that we are. I mean, we were talking about um, ministers, um, and, and it is alarming that possibly half of the ministers uh, in North Mississippi could either be deceased or very limited physically within 15 years. Um, but Brother Calvin Warren, I, it feels like this may have been 10 years ago, um, felt really burdened, felt really burdened to have a specific designated prayer meeting, and Bethany Church hosted that because it was kind of centrally located on Sunday nights. Uh, one Sunday night a month, have a specific prayer meeting, not just that many prayer requests were generally made, but for the specific purpose of God raising up men to preach. And lo and behold, how about that, within just a couple months of the institution of that prayer list was when my brother started exercising and he started preaching. I think within, there was a lot of ministers that were ordained in North Mississippi in the 80s and in probably the first few years of the 90s. But I, I did this math when I was ordained. There was about a 20-year period where there were probably only two ministers that were ordained in our area during that 20-year period. Okay? Brother Calvin felt burdened to have that prayer meeting. And within the last eight years, there's been at least five ministers ordained just here in North Mississippi. You know, the Lord will hear from heaven, you know? right? The Lord is faithful to do that. So um, I'm thankful for where we're at here at Macedonia. We, uh, we need to do better in every area of life. We always need to do better. I need to do better, and you can do, you can do better too. Uh, but I'm also thankful for how I believe the Lord is blessing. I mean, we can't, we can't um, totally control the situation that we were inherited. Josiah couldn't totally control the situation that he was inherited. He can only control what he did with it when he got the right information, okay? So uh, 
I'm not discouraged too much about the state of the kingdom, really, because we have nothing but opportunity. <laughs> we have nothing but opportunity. But the first thing is understanding the realistic diagnosis. All right? Um, I want you to write down a couple verses, okay? Second Chronicles 34 and 35. Um, that's Josiah's revival. Deuteronomy 28. Deuteronomy 28, and we'll go there and read just a few verses this morning. Haggai, really the whole book of Haggai, but Haggai chapter 1, especially through verse 11. Um, you could read uh, 1 Kings 17 and 18 that talked about Elijah and the drought and then the rain that came after they repented on Mount Carmel, okay? And then talking about famine, Amos, Amos chapter 8, Verses 10 to 12, you've heard those verses before. I'm going to send a famine, but not of bread. I'm going to send a famine of hearing the word of the Lord. Okay? We'll skip 2 Samuel 21. Um, Joel, the book of Joel, especially chapters, uh, chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. But then Joel chapter 2, verses 12 to 25 describe the repentance and that describes the the locust coming and the locust uh consuming the land they plant something but god's going to send a locust to consume the harvest because of disobedience but i love that even though that he that he would do that as a judgment <laughs> he gives them a promise in joel chapter 2 and verse 25 if you repent he said i'm going to restore unto you the years of the locust. See, that's how good God is, you see. I'm, I'm sending a, a locust to destroy your crop because of disobedience, but you know what? If you repent, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to return unto you all those years that I took. <laughs> you see? Okay. Let's go quickly to Deuteronomy chapter 28. And we we don't have time to look at this whole chapter, but I think maybe you can at least get the the vibe of what God is saying here. Now, He gives a very similar, uh, very similar blessings and curses uh, covenant, so to say, in Leviticus before God's people were being asked to go into the uh, promised land the first time. And what did they do? Surprise, surprise. They rebelled and they died in the wilderness. God said, look, the Canaan land, Canaan's land is yours for the taking. What did they do? They didn't obey and they suffered the consequences of that. So now that whole generation's died and now you have another generation that's about to go in the promised land. So he's reminding this generation of this is what's going to happen if you're obedient to me. Okay? It shall come to pass. Deuteronomy 28. It shall come to pass that if thou shalt hear diligently under the voice of the Lord thy God, and observe to do all his commandments, which I command thee this day, that the Lord thy God will set thee on high. I will, all these blessings shall come on thee and overtake thee. I, I love the way the Lord blesses his people. You, they're going to consume you in a way you can't even handle them. Okay? Blessed, and I want you to, as you read this, think about the things that deal with land. Okay? Healing of the land. Think about the things that deal with land. Blessed shalt thou be in the city, blessed shalt thou be in the field, and especially the land in regards to plants coming eventually a harvest, okay? Blessed shall be the fruit of thy body and the fruit of thy ground, the fruit of thy cattle, the increase of the kind, 
Um, I'm going to cause your enemies to go. Uh, verse 5, blessed shall be thy basket. Your harvest is going to be blessed. Um, you're going to be blessed in the sight of your enemies. Verse 12, speaking of drought. The Lord shall open unto thee his good treasure, and the heaven shall give rain unto thy land in his season to bless all the work of thy hand, and thou shalt lend unto many nations and not borrow. So if, if you're obedient, you're going to have the early, land, early rain and the latter rain. You're going to have all the moisture you need. Okay? Okay, but now are the negatives, beginning in verse 15. And it shall come to pass, if thou wilt not hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God, to observe to do all his commandments and his statutes, which I command thee, all these curses shall come upon thee. And if you bless me, I'm going to send, I'm going to send blessings that overcome you and overtake you. But if you live in disobedience, I'm going to curse you, and these curses are going to overtake you. Okay? And essentially, everything that he says in the positive, he says in the negative. Okay? You can read all those on your own. But I want to specifically highlight the rain. 23. And thy heaven that is over thy head shall be brass, and the earth that is under thee shall be iron. So if you see this happening, you shouldn't think as an Israelite, man, this is some random weather event. Your first response should be, hmm, maybe I need to go read the word of the Lord and see if there's something that maybe I'm not doing exactly right. You know, your first response should be, hmm, it should always be introspective, okay? Thy heaven that is over thy head shall be brass. The Lord shall make the rain of thy land powder and dust. From heaven shall it come upon thee. You're going to be smitten by your enemies. Um... Verse 33, the fruit of thy land and all thy labors shall a nation which thou knowest not eat up. So anyways, you're going to plant it. And even if it comes to harvest, you're not even going to get to eat that harvest. It's going to go to somebody else. Thou shalt be only oppressed and crushed. And then speaking of the locust, verse 38, thou shalt carry much seed into the field and shall gather but little. And then whatever you do get, the locusts are going to consume it. You're going to plant vineyards and dress them, but you're not going to drink of the wine. Why? Because the worms are going to eat it. Verse 42, all thy trees and the fruit of thy land shall the locust consume. It uses that, the language of the locust in verse 13 in 2 Chronicles 7. So especially as an as a Old Testament Israelite, um, if you saw locusts showing, I mean, it's one thing if it's, uh, uh, it's one thing if it's just a drought and a famine, right? Okay. Well that can happen from time to time. And, you know, maybe, maybe we have a couple months of a, dr of a drought here and there, but it, once it gets past maybe like a year, <laughs> right? Once it gets past maybe a year, you should be thinking a little bit more spiritually as, a, as an Israelite. You know, this is not just a normal, oh, it rains some and, it, and, it, and it's dry some. Once it starts, gets past a certain period, you should be thinking, you know, it hadn't rained in a while. <laughs> you know, uh, I wonder why. I wonder why. Um, 
if you're obedient, boy, you're going to eat the good of the land. You know, you're going to grow. You're going to be blessed. You're going to be fruitful. You're going to be well-nourished and well-watered. But if we don't live in obedience, then the Lord will chastise his children. Um, we hope to continue this, uh, this line of, of thought, hopefully, in, in the weeks to come. I would like to transition um, <clears throat> into a time of prayer. Um, I want to highlight from Daniel chapter 9, Daniel chapter 9, um, we really don't have time to read all of this chapter either um, as much as I would like to. Um, as you're turning there, I want to read for you Psalm, Psalm 139. And I want to challenge you to pray this prayer, but you have to be bold to pray this prayer, okay? Psalm 139 and verse 23. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Okay? You know, we all have secret sins. We all have areas that we need to do better. And it's not in your best interest for you to be blind to that. So... The psalmist says, Lord, show me. Show me my shortcomings. But if you're going to pray that prayer, you better be ready for the answer. And you better be ready to repent. Okay? Because guess what? To whom much is given, much is required. Um, if you remain in ignorance, there's a sense in which God gives a little bit of leniency to people in ignorance. But if you cease to be ignorant, now all of a sudden... To whom much is given, much is required, right? Now, in the book of Daniel, Daniel is one of the few men in Scripture where there's like negative, there's not anything negative said about Daniel. One of the most godly men in all, about, all the Bible, right? So, when I'm delivering this message today, I really don't want you to think that there is some horrible public sin that is causing a drought, or causing circumstances, okay? Daniel is one of the most godly men in all of Scripture, but he understood in his nature, I am a wretched sinner, and I have nothing good inside of myself, and I need to be better tomorrow than I was today, okay? But another thing that Daniel did is he confessed the sins of his nation. He confessed the sins of his father's, and what I love about this, this uh, chapter here in the book of Daniel is God immediately sends an angel to say, as soon as you started praying this prayer, I heard it, and I sent an angel to tell you I heard it. Okay? Now, as we go through this, I'm going to do my best not to expound on this too much. But I want you to read this prayer of confession for Daniel. And, and I know all of you, I know you love the Lord. And I know that you seek to serve the Lord just like Daniel, okay? But there are all areas that we need to see our shortcomings and how we need to do better, okay? So you can pray this prayer with Daniel and still be living a very godly, righteous... That's exactly who he was. But he also understood we are in righteous... They, they were in Babylon, 
He actually says, okay, Daniel chapter 9 and verse 1, in the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of the seed of the Medes, which was made king over the, the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, I understood by books the number of the years, because it was written in the, in the book of Jeremiah, that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolation of Jerusalem. You know, I read in the word of God that God said, if you don't repent, I'm going to send you to Babylon. And guess what? Where am I sitting? In Babylon. Guess what? God did exactly what he said he was going to do. And my fathers, God raised up men to say, hey, if you don't repent, this is what I'm going to do. If you don't repent, this is what I'm going to do. They didn't repent. And what happened? All of a sudden, Daniel's in Babylon. Not because of anything he did. You understand that? He inherited this situation. It's not because of anything he did. It was because of the sins of somebody else. But he had enough humility to say, you know what? We're all in this together. And I want you to understand we are. We're all in this together. The church and the kingdom, the, the, not just the, the triumphant body of Christ, but this local church body. We're all in this together. <laughs> for better or for worse. And he confesses the sins of his fathers. He confesses the sin of his nation. And he confesses his own sins, even though in Scripture we don't even know anything about them. Okay? Daniel chapter 9 and verse 3. I set my face unto the Lord to seek by prayer and supplication with fasting. Also, the Lord takes special note and special attention when we fast. Okay, when we afflict ourselves, And I would encourage you to do that as the Spirit directs and as the Spirit convicts you to do that. But God takes special attention when we're willing to forsake ourselves of that natural food to have our voice heard on high. Okay? I prayed unto the Lord my God and made my confession and said, O oh Lord, the great and dreadful God, keeping the covenant. First of all, Lord, thank you for being a, merci a merciful, gracious, and covenant-keeping God. And I know you're not going to fully forsake us. Why? Because you made a covenant that said you're not going to forsake us. He also knew in Psalms, uh, in Psalms that, uh, I think it's 89, where it says, if my, if my people, if they forsake me, nevertheless, I will not suffer my loving kindness to fail. He knew, he knew that God promised that, you see? We have sinned, verse five, we have sinned. Yeah. Send a revival, start the work in me. We're never gonna be instruments of growth and revival if, if our first inclination is always to point the finger at somebody else. Maybe they, maybe they deserve their, the finger pointed at them, but... That doesn't matter unless you take care of the beam of your own eye to be able to look at the mode in somebody else's eye. If your first inclination is the problem with the church is other people, then you're the problem. Okay? If you want to, if you're taking notes, you can write that down. If your first inclination is to think that the problem with the church is other people, then you're a big part of the problem. We have sinned. We have sinned. The man that nothing negative is said about in all of Scripture says, I'm right here with the rest of these sinners. We're all in this together. We have sinned and have committed iniquity and have done wickedly and have rebelled 
Even by departing from thy precepts, neither have we hearkened unto thy servants. The Lord, you told us this was going to happen, and we didn't listen. It's our fault. This isn't random. This, this is an if-then statement. If you repent, I'm going to bless you. If you don't, you're going into captivity. Lo and behold, here I am in Babylon. You told us. You told us about it, Lord. You didn't leave us in ignorance. But even though we're having to suffer this discomfort, verse 7, O Lord, you're still righteous. O Lord, righteousness belongeth unto thee. And unto us, this is what, you're, you're righteous. But unto us, what do we deserve? Confusion of faces, as it is this day. That's what we've earned. To the men of Judah, Jerusalem, Israel, okay. Verse 9, to the Lord our God belongeth mercies and forgivenesses, though we have rebelled against him. Neither have we, you know, I love how he's not saying they. It'd be easy, <laughs> right? It'd be easy to say they, 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 they. No, he said we, we have sinned. But in the, even though we've sinned, to the Lord belongeth mercies and forgivenesses. Um, you can read the rest of that yourself. Skipping to verse 17. Now, therefore, O our God, hear the prayer of thy servant and his supplications and cause thy face to shine upon thy sanctuary that is desolate. I mean, I can just imagine Daniel remembering the beauty of Solomon's temple and saying, Lord, I, I pray that you would shine upon your temple, but I know right now it's a, it's a rubble uh, of just broken down heat. But there came a time where it was rebuilt, right? Right? God sent revival. God sent restoration in his time and in due season. Lord, remember your house that's desolate now. Oh, God, incline thine ear and hear and open thine eyes and behold our desolations and the city which is called by thy name. For we do not present our supplications before thee for our righteousnesses or for uh, but for thy great mercy. In other words, I'm asking for your blessings, but I know that in my nature, my righteousnesses are nothing but filthy right. I, I know that we deserve everything that we've got, but Lord, in spite of that, I'm not asking because I deserve it. I'm asking because of your great mercies. You know, And, and how much more was God glorified by God sending a revival and restoration and moving secular pagan kings to give uh, decrees to allow them to rebuild. I mean, how much more was God glorified in that? You see? By the restoration. And then he concludes his prayer. prayer o Lord, hear, O Lord. Forgive, O Lord. Hearken and do. Defer not for thine own sake, O my God, for thy city and thy people are called by thy name. And while I was yet speaking and praying and confessing my sin, I'll tell you, this is how good God is to hear our sins, our prayers of confession and repentance. While I was, uh, <clears throat> while I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in a vision at the beginning, 
being caused to fly swiftly, he touched me and he informed me and talked with me and said, oh, Daniel, I am now come forth to give thee skill and understanding. And at the beginning of thy supplications, the commandment came forth and I am come to show thee for thou art greatly beloved. Therefore, understand the matter and consider the vision. And then he gives him the prophecy of the 70 weeks, points him toward... You know, yes, I know things may be difficult right now, but I love how in the middle of all this, he points him actually to a prophecy of the Messiah too. <laughs> he points him to the cross. But sometimes we feel like that not just is there a brass in heaven and, and the, uh, uh, the, the rain isn't coming down. Sometimes it feels like there's a, there's a, a brass in heaven where our, sins don't, our, our prayers don't get up, right? And it seems like they don't get up to heaven. Well, don't you ever think that. Don't you ever think that if you pray... Uh, sincerely in, in the spirit. When Daniel prayed this prayer of confession, and I love how he hadn't even finished saying all the words he was going to say yet. When he first started this prayer and said, oh Lord, please forgive. Now there was things that verbally he was going to say a little bit later on, but God knew the condition of his heart and he sent Gabriel at the start of the prayer before he had even finished saying all the words. <laughs> I tell you, God hears our prayer. Amen. God hears our prayers. And we know that. We know that in theory. But isn't it good to see examples like that where when we pray that kind of a prayer, God immediately hears. God immediately moves. And I hope that the Spirit of God will allow us to see our, our shortcomings how we can do better, how we can serve the Lord more faithfully. And it's not about this being a means to an end. I, I want to make sure we understand that. This is not a means to an end. That I'm trying to accomplish something. No, this is just about honoring the Lord in our daily discipleship. If there's something where I'm lacking, Lord, show me. Show me where I'm lacking. And the end result of that is that you will move and convict us to perform actions and the, the result of those actions will be the healing of, of our land, okay? And we pray God will bless us to do that. We thank you for listening to today's message and invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For further information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org.